The presenting sponsor for this episode of the Autism Dad podcast is Mightier. Okay, so I want to take a minute and talk about Mightier. Mightier is a clinically proven mobile gaming app which was developed at Boston Children's Hospital. It's already helped more than 100,000 kids, including my crew here at home. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I'm very big into anything that empowers parents, and that's one of the things that's so great about Mightier. It empowers both parents and kids, and it's all done through play. So how does it work? Great question. Kids play on a tablet or a phone while wearing a heart rate monitor, and Mightier incorporates breathing exercises and other proven calming techniques as part of the game. Kids get to see when it's time to cool down, and they learn how to do it themselves, and parents get to track their progress. With time, those calming skills become muscle memory. All it takes is 15 minutes a day, three days a week, and 87% of parents see improvement inside of 90 days. That's amazing. So check out Mightier.com to learn more about the science behind Mightier and how it works. That's M-I-G-H-T-I-E-R.com and use the code theautismdad22 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski, and before we get started in this week's episode, I just want to explain a couple of things. Um, What I had intended when recording this uh, episode earlier was to have a follow-up interview with my friend Dennis Procopio, who has an autistic son and who recently discovered that he is most likely autistic himself. And, you know, the last episode that we did together, we sort of ended on that. And, you know, this was supposed to be a follow-up to learn you know, about his journey and what's going on and, and, uh, and just kind of exploring what it's like to have that later in life diagnosis. And what, and, and we did a little bit, but what it turned into was Dennis helping me to accept myself, uh, which sounds super weird. I know, but I was recently diagnosed with ADHD within the last, I don't know, month or so. And at 43, and I'm, and I've struggled with that for a bunch of reasons, but Dennis turned this into something where he helped me learn to accept myself for who I am. And I, I debated about whether or not to even air this episode because I, it, uh, I don't know. It just feels really personal, but I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. One, I think that what Dennis says in this episode applies to many different situations. And I think that hearing his words can be impactful and helpful to a lot of people out there. So I want to share that. And also, I think it's important to highlight that there are people out there who are doing amazing things to help other humans. And Dennis is one of those people. So in a second, we're going to just pick up with that original recording and, uh, and go from there. So thank you, Dennis, for your help. And, uh, there you go. All right. And, uh, we're back for part two with Dennis Procopio. And if you remember the previous episode, and I'll have it linked in the show notes below, we were discussing, um, his son Bennett's experiences at school and managing IEPs and having to deal with some of the challenges associated with that. And then Dennis mentioned that he reached out to a group of autistic adults and started speaking with them, getting advice on things for his son and IEPs and whatever, and discovered that he himself is on the, the autism spectrum. And, and then we ran out of time. So we're just going to pick it up from there. (laughs) 
and then, and then see how everything's going. So thank you for, uh, for coming back on and, and finishing this conversation, Dennis, how you doing, man? Yeah. Hey Rob, it, it, it's, uh, it's good. And I, I appreciate you having me back. Um, yeah, it was quite a, it, it's been quite a, a 2022, uh, 51 years old and discovered, Hey, I think I didn't know everything there was to know about autism, even though I have an autistic son. And then discovered, hey, I think my mother's bipolar disorder diagnosis may actually have been misdiagnosed autism. And her mother before her. Then, hmm, it skipped a generation. What are the odds? And then, hey, man, I think you might be autistic. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of the path that I've been on. And... Now I am more convinced than ever while still, uh, you know, uh, awaiting an official diagnosis. I'm very comfortable saying uh, I'm 99.9% sure that daddy's autistic too. Are you going to, are you going to go through a diagnostic process? I think I am. It costs money, but I'm blessed Mm -hmm. and I've got a little money. So I think for all the dumb stuff I've ever paid for in my life, I think it would be really nice to get a diagnosis from someone who is an autism specialist who themselves is also on the spectrum. And there is such a person and I'm interested in reaching out to her and going through the process. I've taken all of the tests that you can take. Uh, let's just say I, I, I'm not in any gray area. I mean, I'm <laughs> really, really super like, like I'm a winner, man. So I'm really passing these tests, you know, overachiever, overachiever. Yeah. I'm getting hundreds. So I am going to get the diagnosis. The only reason I'm going to get the diagnosis is because many people who identify uh, behaviors later in life that start to point them toward the idea that they're autistic go through a a pretty archetypal process of denial and imposter syndrome, thinking that they're in a group of people that are actually autistic and they themselves are sort of calling themselves autistic, but are still saying things to themselves, like, you know, using functioning labels, which is kind of disapproved of in the autism community, but using functioning labels saying, well, is it possible for someone to be as high functioning as I am and still be autistic. Just because you're verbal doesn't mean that you're not autistic. You can be incredibly verbal. I'm an example of that. You can be too verbal and that might be an indication that you're on the spectrum. Um, We have a tendency, people with autism, apparently, certain of us, uh, to latch on to special interests and to geek super hard and to info dump. So, yeah, I do believe that I'm autistic and uh, I'm interested in seeing what happens next. Very cool. One second. Yes, Elliot. Okay. Yeah, I'm in a meeting. Are you okay? Just, honey, everybody's been exposed at this point. Uh, just for right now, just go downstairs. I'll be, when I'm done, we'll figure out what we're going to do. Okay. Oh my God. Elliot, I'm in the middle of a meeting. Thank you. Ooh, I don't like the attitude. How old is he? 16 going on 30. Is he good? 
I was actually thinking that I was going to be the one. I was wondering which of us was going to be the one that was good. It's like dueling banjos over. It's like, a, whose autistic kid is going to crash the session first? Because I've got, I've got Ben at home from school, which is another story. And when he decides he's going to let everyone know he's home, dude, it's like a five alarm fire. Yep. He just, he, yeah, he just uh, makes his presence known. Yeah, he's he's a little bit irritated just with life right now, but uh, it's that age, man. Like I'm telling you, like the hardest part, I, I feel like everything has been okay until um, they hit their teens and it's just a whole different, whole different experience at that point. So we'll see, see who survives it. <sighs> um, since we spoke last time, I was going through my ADHD evaluation and I went to, there was a psychiatrist or psychologist in my area that I was actually my college professor when I was in school. And it's like five hours of testing. I hated every minute of it. It was awful. I, I feel like it was awful, but I think it's, it's designed to expose the deficits in people. And it did that. And I don't like it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't like not being able to complete things or do things correctly or whatever. But uh, now I wait for a couple of weeks until I get the results, and then I'll know for sure one way or the other. Um, how did you, and this, this is what I wanted to ask you, like how did you feel when you went through the testing, just even the stuff that like you did where you, you were able to find them and, and uh, go through a lot of that stuff on your own? Was that tough to kind of deal with a little bit, if that makes sense? I appreciate your question. Um I'll, I'll describe my experience, hopefully, in a way that's interesting and useful to anyone listening. Um, my first thought in the group when I started saying, hey, maybe I have autism, or not have autism, but am autistic, uh, my first thought was, of course, I want to find out for sure. Now, 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 I want instant answers. I want them now. And so I bombarded the group with questions and I got a ton of stories of people who had gone through the process of uh, self-diagnosis and some of whom had also then gone through the process of uh, quote-unquote formal diagnosis. And I put quotes around that because, you know, your formal diagnosis depends upon who, who formally diagnosed you and they might be you know, they might be a good, they, they might be on point and they might not. It's tough to standardize this stuff because we're still learning about it. So my first emotion, I guess, associated with this, it was just classic me impatience. I want to know now, 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 now. And so I just grilled everybody in the room, collected a bunch of data and said, there's a lot of overlap between their stories and what I'm experiencing right now in this process. They all gave me a bunch of tests to take online that said, hey, these are, there's no one test that you're going to take that's going to say, congratulations, you're autistic. But there are a bunch of tests that you can take, which, you know, depending upon how you score on them, might indicate that you're onto something. They're tests with names like RADS R and CAT Q and the Aspie test and things like that. I found the whole test suite on a website, embrace-autism.com. And I found it to be a really useful site and comprehensive. And so I took every test they had. And as I suggested, I was at the top of the, I, I mean, I, I was at the very top of the top for autism. 
Um, in some cases, it's like you scored 80 out of 80 or something. So my test taking energy was a combination of I want to be sure that I answer this honestly and I'm obviously smart enough to figure out what they want me to say. And I, yes, right? I, I suspect that there's a part of me that is trying to decide what I should answer based on what I think they want to hear based on what I possibly subconsciously want to be the outcome. Mm-hmm. So I had some self-doubt about, about trusting myself to answer honestly. And some of the questions are sort of ambiguous where they're open to interpretation, right? And so like one of the ones that really drove me crazy was um, it was asking about my activity level, right? And so it's like, do you find yourself always running around or something like that or always on the go? And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking like part of my brain is thinking like, well, no, I don't, I, I know what they're asking. Like, am I hyperactive? I don't have excessive energy. I wish that I did, right? I'd be like dangerous if I had excessive energy, but I don't. But then the other part of me was like, well, I have three kids who go everywhere all the time. It seems like school or whatever. So yeah, I'm always on the go. I don't know which, I don't know what to say. And it, and then it's like sometimes often never. And there were 586 questions like this on the last part of the test. And it was, by the time I was done, I felt like, uh, my whole brain had been turned inside out and you don't know whether you passed or failed. Right. So you just walk out of there having no idea what's what. And so like, I don't know if I pass, if that means that I have ADHD or if I fail, it means that I have ADHD. I feel like I failed and I don't know what that means. And it's just a really, it's a really, uh, it's frustrating. And it was emotional for me because I think recognizing that those deficits are there and, and allowing them to be exposed made me feel very vulnerable and, and frustrated because I felt like I should be able like, this isn't hard stuff. I felt like I should have been able to do better. And it would, they're designed to expose that, right? So that you can identify what the problem is and that you can get help for it. And I guess I didn't, I didn't like that, if that that makes sense. So this is the part where I remind you that I'm a life coach for men and that I work with 40 to 60 guys a week as I've done for nearly a decade. And so you, you uh, showed some overlap uh, here with my clients, ADHD or not, because these guys all have in common that they're productivity oriented Mm -hmm. and it's very much hoop jump biscuit. They, they do a thing for the reward which gives them the dopamine and the sense of completion and validation, which gives them the motivation to then do the next thing. And so one of the reason my guys uh, historically shy away from conventional therapy and instead move toward my now registered trademark, the bro coach approach is because as a bro, I know a guy is looking to, you know, even in the journey to satisfy some larger objective, he still wants to hit some local goals to feel like he's like on the right path. Like put the bread crumbs closer together so I can find them. <laughs> don't leave 10 miles between breadcrumbs because I don't like the gray area. Yeah. I feel directionless. I feel disoriented. I feel confused. And that's crappy for me. 
So my guy's experience with conventional therapy has been, I sit in a clinical waiting room. I walk into an office where there's an implied um, uh, value differential between myself and my doctor. I'm a patient. I'm a patient, arguably, because I'm sick or broken in some way. So I've already got my tail between my legs. Um, the person who's interacting with me, I know, is analyzing me and diagnosing me and looking for stuff, which I translate to stuff that's wrong with me. And so I dump out all of this vulnerability, all this stuff I really wouldn't share. Otherwise, I'm not famously a sharer. I'm not super into emoting first. I'm into fixing problems first and then emoting afterward and saying things like, here's an emotion that sucked. <laughs> um, and so they dump and then they get a really, you know, steely, objective, professional, thank you, appreciate it. You know, we'll, you know, we'll be I'll in touch. Run this. We'll be in touch. And then you walk out feeling kind of empty and, yes. and weird. I felt like it was like, uh, I used this phrase before and it sounds weird, but it was like an emotional enema. Like yep. it just, I didn't, ex I was anxious to go because I wanted to get answers because I feel like I should probably be on medication. Can't do that without having the official diagnosis because it's, you know, controlled and whatever. And that's fine. I want to do it the right way. But I walked out of there feeling defeated. Like, yes. like, like, uh, like my God, I didn't realize how broken I really am. You know what I mean? Cause like, I, I always find ways of overcoming things just like I've been doing this my whole life. And so I didn't, I didn't recognize what things were. I just did things a certain way because it worked. But when you take away that certain way and try to make me function the way that like everybody else functions, then I flounder. And yeah. I didn't realize that until I started looking into this. And then it just, it just, uh, oh man, it was, it was tough. Like I got out, I got out of the thing. I sat in the car and I just sat there for like feeling like, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> like, how, how is this happening to me? And, uh, and it's, and it's tough. It really is like, and it's just a stupid test. It doesn't change anything about me. It doesn't define who I am, but it happened and I can't not recognize that. And it, and it made, it made those challenges more real for me, I guess, if that, if that makes sense, I have to acknowledge that they're there now rather than just pretend like, you know, it might be there. It's pretty yeah. obvious. It's pretty obvious that they're there. <laughs> There's a difference between obliviousness and ignorance, right? Yeah. If you have a monster standing behind you and you don't know it, you're going to act differently than if you catch a peek of something out of the corner of your eye and you're pretty sure it's a monster. And now you're going to pretend that everything's <laughs> fine, but you're not oblivious. You're ignoring the thing, but you know it's there. Yeah. And that's the definition of ignorance, right? Yeah. Ignorance, right? So the thing about ignorance is that to pretend something's not there, it's kind of like the way the donut defines the donut hole. To pretend something's not there is to build your entire life around making absolutely sure you don't accidentally interface with it. So a lot of us have designed our lives to make sure we don't deal with the thing. And so in a situation like that, you're forced to start acknowledging the thing and then accepting the thing. And I am big on the idea that acceptance and peace uh, trend together. Mm -hmm. But we all know that before acceptance, there's a whole process that goes on. There's denial, there's rage, there's, you know, all of that. 
This episode of the Autism Dead podcast is brought to you by Trail Magic. Commuting with nature is one of the best methods of self-care available, and hiking is one of the best ways to enjoy nature. If you're a parent who enjoys hitting the trails with your little ones, you're already aware that toddlers will walk some of the journey and want to be carried the rest of the way. There are tons of contraptions out there for carrying babies while on a trail, but what about those in-between toddler years? You don't want to bring a big, bulky carrier for a kid who's only going to use it some of the time. The Trail Magic Kid Carrier solves that problem, and it does so brilliantly. Invented by a dad who wanted to take his three-year-old backpacking, it's for kiddos 12 months up to 43 pounds. The carrier attaches onto hiking backpacks and durable day packs that have a waist strap and upper loaders. Weighing less than 10 ounces, it's so portable you can stuff it in the side of your backpack when not in use. The Trail Magic Kid Carrier is a total game changer for the outdoor adventure family community. For more information, visit trailmagic.com. That's T-R-A-I-L-M-A-G-I-K.com. Use the code theautismdad at checkout and save 10% off your order. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And I guess I was just I was just surprised because I thought when I would go through that, um, I, when I got done, I would feel this sense of relief. And maybe I will at some point. But it, but right now it's more like anxiety inducing because it's like, hurry up and wait. You know, there's no instant gratification. I have to wait for, I don't know, end of next week or something, I think at this point, but, um, it is a, it is a interesting experience that I did not expect to impact me the way that it did. And I, I feel like in a, in a weird way, it's sort of like all of my life I've been self self-medicating is not the right word or not the right phrase, but like I do things in a certain way, self-regulating, self-regulating without realizing mm-hmm. that I was doing mm-hmm. that. Now I realize what I'm doing and it's, it's, I can't ignore it anymore. <laughs> like I can't pretend it's not there. And so I ha- I have to acknowledge it. I have to adapt to it and I have to learn to be okay with it. That's acceptance. Yeah. And we're back. And I think that, I think that there's a healthy, why the hell do these always turn into coaching I, sessions? I you know, know, they always do. But I mean, this is just who I am. So let's just well, this is a really let's, good, let's this is a really good example of, yeah. there's a lot of people that probably go through this. <laughs> I'm sure there are, and I'm aware of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of talking to you, but I'm also talking to anybody who's listening. That's like, Hey, I vibe with what they're saying. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. I'll say that some of the voices in the autism and ADHD, well, basically the, neurodivergent community. Some of the voices within the community who are further along the conveyor belt than I am have sort of reported back that one of the ways in which the diagnosis, whether it was an actual diagnosis or really just self-diagnosis and acceptance, hey, this is probably true. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the ways in which the diagnosis was helpful for them was that at first, and this is critical, at first, like you, they're saying, oh, crap, now I have to give this thing a label. And what does that mean about my identity? There's going to be an identity shift if I now have this new label. However, you're not actually putting a label where there hitherto was none. You're putting a label where there already were labels. And in my life, that means, for example... My backstory is that I come from abuse, molestation, uh, drugs and alcohol, basically real bad stuff. So I have a underclass poverty abuse addiction narrative that I've used to justify or qualify my erratic behaviors. 
Uh, also, I'm a, quote, creative. So I went to college for fine art. I've always been sort of a quirky, creative kid. Mm-hmm. I've used the label of, the ambiguous label of creative as a way of justifying why I might not have fallen in with, you know, the other dudes who were doing dude stuff and were going to go off and fight in the war and play sports or whatever the case may be, which which now I've sort of evolved back into that person, which is interesting. But, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Tim Robbins' Still Life with Woodpecker. Uh, there was a line he said, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. So <laughs> I'm sort of retroactively going back and being the, the little man boy that I, that I never got a chance to be because I was this little queer little kid. But and queerness, that's another thing. I always understood the word queer to mean different. And if we use that label within the LGBTQ plus community, there's so much variance and diversity that it's not just you're gay or you're not or you're trans or you're not. There's there's a whole world there. And I was a straight kid who had gaydar and was like, wait, well, why do I have that? How can I tell when people are gay or they aren't? Or why do I have this? Um, sort of heightened insider. empathy, em- insider empathy yeah. with this community. And I said, oh, well, maybe it's because my mom had a female relationship at a certain point in her life. And so having been reared by lesbians for a, for a certain number of years, I, I opened up some, you know, illuminated female third eye or something that other guys don't have, you know. So my point is the labels that I assigned to or or this is another one, just crazy. I can't tell you the number of times I accepted the term, oh, Dennis, he's just kind of crazy. You know, I'm I'm a Jewish Italian from the Northeast, from, from not just Italian, but from Southern Italy, Calabria, who are famously the people that if you say somebody's Calabrese, you know, you knock your head and say, oh, Calabrese, they're stubborn, they're pazzo, which means uh, crazy in Italian. So I had all of these labels that said, I'm broken because of my because of my bad experiences. I have PTSD. I have some sort of weird sexual identity because of my affiliation with the LGBTQ plus community growing up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When I look back now at what it means to be autistic, I have this one size fits all label that covers all of those things. No, it wasn't your PTSD. No, it wasn't any of that. There's there's disproportionately probably something, don't quote me, but you can Google it, but probably somewhere near, if not more than 50% of the uh, neurodiverse community is LGBTQ+. The percentage is high. Is, yeah, I don't know it's if that's high. the right number, but it's, it's for, there's it's, a lot it's of from, it's, it's between the 40, it's, it's somewhere in the 40 to 50 range. It's nearing if not more than half which is a big number mm-hmm. and so when you're me a, a 51 year old straight cisgendered white male in a community full of people who identify as a neurodivergent and you are in this community with all of these other people and you're saying hey this is my family these are my people the autism label helps you go oh that's our commonality we're all autistic Okay, that's cool. Not that it wouldn't be cool otherwise, but that yeah. it's nice. So once you get over, which I had to, the idea that autism equals Rain Man, you know, the, the Hollywood portrayals or some less flattering version of what autism can represent as, not that there's any judgment here. It doesn't matter how you represent uh, or how you present. 
But once you get over the ableist fear of being in this group of people who are identified socially as disabled, it's incredibly liberating to say, I accept that this is who I am. And through this acceptance, I get a pass on a lot of quirks and behaviors that I previously thought of as abnormal. They're normal for this diagnosis. I see what you're saying. So you can put, you would care. See, for me, my, my issue is, is like follow through sometimes. Well, a lot of times. And if we're being honest, <laughs> let's be honest and, and, and attention, right? Like I have multiple projects started that never get done because I get distracted or something comes up and I'm like constantly triaging things in my head. And I never, I never can just like focus on one thing and get it done and move to the next. That's really hard for me. I can do that. I can do it to some extent, but there is, it's exhausting. And so I avoid it, right? It's like mentally, just emotionally draining for me. And, and I can identify that now. Cause like, if I go into my drafts on WordPress, there's like 400 posts that I've started that I never finished. And it, and it used to drive me crazy because I'm like, well, it's not that hard. Like I've written 13,000 articles or more than that now for like, how can I not like, how, why do I start so many and not finish them? And now it makes sense. You know, like I, I understand why I do that now. It doesn't make it any less frustrating, but, uh, but, but I think understanding I'm able to see the gears turning in the background more now than what I did before. So I understand, and I'm trying to be more forgiving of myself that be more forgiving. I think that's the biggest, um, thing that I've noticed in the, in the groups that I'm in is that people, once they start accepting their the idea that they're simply a different neurotype mm -hmm. and that your neurotype predicts your identity and your behavior you don't apologize for your neurotype you accept your neurotype and you're in a group of people who say hey i get it it's really difficult to live in a world where neurotypical people do neurotypical things with the expectation that we'll also be able to do these neurotypical things without understanding how many spoons we have to use to do them. Obviously, spoons is an allusion to spoon theory. Mm -hmm. uh, right, way of saying how... Like resources for the day. How many more energy units I have to burn <laughs> than the average person. Like, there's a hole in my gas tank, and yet you're expecting me to keep up with you on the highway. There's a point at which I'm going to hit burnout. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, there are these memes that float around, like I'm thinking of one, it's, you know, for people of a certain age, you may remember the uh, ACDC Highway to Hell, mm -hmm. um, but it's somebody got a tattoo that says ADHD Highway to <laughs> Hey, Look a Squirrel. <laughs> and, and it's good to be able to laugh at yourself, but the reality is you're laughing at your truth. Hey, love me or hate me, man. This is how I rock. If there's medication that can help, great. Let's give it a whirl and hope that we don't have, you know, spin the wheel and hope there's no negative side effects. If there are practices mm -hmm. that can, uh, that other people in this community for whom this is normal can use to increase productivity and stop self-hating and, you know, allow yourself to love yourself despite your um, 
despite your your challenges or your limitations. I think that's the name of the game. You kind of change that inner dialogue because yeah, because what I've what I've learned to do is break for me. I've learned what I'm trying to learn to do, and it's a work in progress. Is working with my brain instead of against it, because I feel like most of my life I've been working against it, which is why it's it's been problematic or challenging. Now I recognize, well, I mean, I can do these things, but I just have to break it down into, you know, smaller tasks so that I can stay on target and move from one to the next, to the next, to the next, instead of like looking at the whole thing is, is one giant problem and having to try and find a solution. I can just take one piece at a time and then I can just check them off the list and make my way through it. And it, and it works out better. But, uh, I really thought it was interesting when we first, when, when we talked the last time, because we were both going through, well, we both have neurodiverse kids and then we were both going through a similar process at the same time. And it's so interesting to hear what your journey has, has been like through this, because it seems like it's like a journey of self-awareness. You're just learning more about who you are and understanding the reasons behind why you operate the way that you do. Right. And it's not a defect. It's not a you're not, it's not laziness or like for me, like it's not laziness. It's, I can't, like I get paralyzed. Like I can't, I just can't start something if I don't know where to start. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. And you end up with analysis paralysis because yeah. you're an over overthinker. And the next thing you know, you go on to some sort of lateral drift into some distraction. Next thing you know, you're on Reddit or <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. I know. Or painting the hallway instead of painting the room. That's, <laughs> yeah, what, I, that's what I did when I was painting I this. Um, how has this impacted your life? Do you feel like it has brought some sense of clarity or is it, or, or are you still kind of trying to figure that out? I'm going to be rip the bandaid off honest and say, if I died right now, I'm I'm okay with who I am and and when I put the quote bad that I've done in life on one side of the scales scales and the quote good that I've done on the other I've done some bad stuff and I I take ownership of those things I'm regretful but I own them I've had some really bad stuff happen to me and that's unfortunate but uh, I've moved past the entitlement piece that says that I deserve anything. There's a lot of people in the world suffering, and I was one of them. And in terms of the good that I've done, well, I've done some good stuff, and I continue to try to do good stuff, and that's my new MO because I'm no longer oblivious, um, and I choose not to be ignorant. So the thing that I'm no longer ignoring is that all of us have a responsibility to offer service to others in need. And no matter how great my needs are, there's always someone who has greater needs than myself. And what I've been learning is that as I continue to offer service, there's a healing process that happens on the back end. And whether you're someone who identifies as faith-based or spiritual or whatever, or you're just a rational pragmatist who still appreciates the idea of you know, doing good locally as a way of holistically fixing the world. I guess what I would say is, as I continue to learn things about myself, quote unquote, the only real thing that I've learned is to maybe stop the self-analysis to accept my identity as autistic in the moment with the understanding that that the, the entire ruler by which we measure 
neuro anything could go through some sort of Copernican revolution. And it may turn out later that the people who are called neurodivergent are actually whole brain thinkers. And the people who are called neurotypical are actually these socially conditioned, you know, worker ants. Mm -hmm. And that that's not normal, that that's a more Willian crap. So, okay, for now, autism works as a label to replace other labels. Great. But more importantly, who is Dennis? Right now, Dennis is a a husband and a father. Right now, Dennis is a life coach. And more than anything else, Dennis is is a citizen of the world whose responsibility is to wake up in the morning, combust oxygen, and use his energy to shine light into other people's world. That's really my bottom line. Wow. That's really good. That that was really deep. I have... uh... I have goosebumps, Dennis. That was good. Thanks, man. That was really good. Thank you. I don't know how to end. Fin- I don't know how to. I, I was just going to say, like, I think we stopped the landing. I think that's where that, you throw yeah. the mic at the audience. That's like, <laughs> you know, perfect tens. Yeah, thanks, ten man. It. It's just a whatever. But yeah, that was really good. And and I hope I hope that, you know, if anybody's listening to this or when people are listening to this, that like, if you're going through a similar process, A, Dennis is a great guy to talk to. And we'll have all of your information in, in the show notes again so that people can connect. And then um, three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a Dennis is a good guy to talk to. He's got a business. It's called Man Up Life Coaching. You can find him at manuplifecoaching.com. Mm-hmm. Don't let the name Man Up fool you. It doesn't mean that we're going to make you you know bow to your sensei or lick anybody's boot it just means that if you're a man down this is a place where we can help a man to build up reverse his direction and build himself up also you can find him at malelifecoach.com and if i know you and me rob we're gonna do another one of these probably for sure definitely this was so good Uh, this was uh yeah, and all, and the links will be in the show notes below, so you guys can just click on it, so it's easy to remember. But uh, you really have a, a unique approach to things that, like, I'm walking away from this interview feeling better about myself than what I did when we sat down, you know, 40 minutes ago to do this. So, so listen, you're a dad, yeah. right? And uh, there's a there's a you, I'm sure you've watched your share of SpongeBob. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's a movie. SpongeBob sponge out of water and they fall into uh, a, a sort of a, an apocalyptic state because Plankton finally manages to steal the Krabby Patty formula. And as there's anarchy and chaos in the scre- streets, someone screams, It's love! The secret ingredient to the Krabby Patty formula <laughs> is love! And, you know, that's kind of how I feel about the bro coach approach. The secret ingredient to my brand of counseling is brotherly love. And so if you're coming away from this feeling lifted, man, it's because I think there's an overlap here in empathy. You empathize with my situation. I empathize with yours. We're both dads and we're both neurodiverse guys just trying to get through a day, a week, a month, and a year. And I support you and I feel you. And I thank you. I encourage you, bro. And the same, same, you know, back at you. Like I, I, uh, yeah, you just get it. And that's, that's, that's not easy to find, you know? So I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'll have all Dennis's information in the show notes so that you guys can just click and check it out. And, uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we 
closed out? Um, I just want to say I'm aware of you being a, a dad and the COVID has managed to find its way into your world. So I'm just saying, hey, have a really great experience with COVID and I'll <laughs> see you on the other side, bro. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, my best okay. to your family and, and we'll be in touch. Before I close things out, I just want to take a minute and thank Dennis for taking the time to come on the show again, for sharing about his life, for sharing about his journey, his family, everything, and, and for helping me to better accept myself and my ADHD diagnosis. You know, and I know that sounds really weird uh, because like, who cares? It's an ADHD diagnosis, like whatever. But, but there is like an emotional fallout from something like that, especially later in life and learning something about yourself uh, that's this impactful. So I struggled, you know, I, I struggled. And we recorded this interview a few weeks ago. And as I'm recording this closing, I'm doing so much better, you know? And I just uh, thank you, Dennis, for all of that. If you are looking to connect with Dennis, his information will be in the show notes below. You can find him at manuplifecoaching.com. And, uh, yeah. So again, Dennis, thank you. I appreciate you. As for me, you can find me at my brand new website for this podcast, listen.theautismdad.com. You will be able to like and subscribe and listen to the episodes and comment on them and apply to be a guest or learn about sponsorship opportunities or rate and review everything on one website. It's super cool. I'm very proud of it. So please check it out. Leave me your uh, thoughts. I'd really appreciate that. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Have a great week. All right. I'll talk to you next Monday. See you. Bye.